Hi and welcome to episode 102 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger and today I'm bringing you a wonderful conversation I had with abstract artist Antonia Merljack. I first noticed Antonia's work in a group show at Sydney's Hazelhurst Gallery by the Women's Artist Collective of Movers and Shapers and I was struck by the energy in her work. You just couldn't pass those paintings without moving in closer. But the real attention grabber was Sydney Contemporary Art Fair last year when Antonia's painting became more of a performance. And if you were there, you would remember Antonia working on a huge wall-sized piece of canvas standing on scaffolding metres above the ground. And in a way, that probably best describes her and her attitude to her art. She's bold and adventurous. She came to painting after a career in fashion and having had four children and it almost happened by accident and you're going to hear all about it in this episode. She's had eight solo shows and is represented in Sydney and Melbourne and I took some video at her recent show at Nanda Hobbs in Sydney last month. I'll be getting that video online in a few weeks. I started our conversation by asking Antonia what she remembers of art as a child. Well, my memories of making are more important than art itself because culturally uh, I come from a very creative background. Everybody made things and it's um, important to me, I guess, to acknowledge that in my practice because it's how I was brought up. I never thought about it as being art back then as a small child witnessing somebody you know, making bread or pasta or cultivating and farming, but in fact it's an art. So that's my earliest memories of art is actually, in fact, the making. So were your parents, your parents weren't born here? No, they were both born in Sicily. I saw a T-shirt once that said, I am made from migrants. And literally all of my experiences culturally are through making for survival and music there was a lot of music always guitar playing and singing and you know and that celebration was always always around food so if there was food there was music (laughs) if there was making there was music so there was a lot of yeah it's a lot of music around well it sounds like food and music it's very sensual sort of um, yeah it was like everybody and again everybody's really loud and emotional there would often be you know parties at night and there was always colour you know, there's lots of colour and uh, and uh, the joy of colour and food, like that was all f- often discussed. Look at the colour of this and look at how beautiful that is. And mm. um, so the pattern, the colour, it was all very part of that culture. Growing up, I just remember my parents sharing a lot of food. And I think it was a way of just introducing themselves and finding connection. So food was always a connection to anyone that they wanted to become friends with and I remember being farmed around the neighborhood with different things to give to different people (laughs) and then it just opened up doors and relationships. So what was school like did you did you do art at school? No again it's just you know I guess it depends on how you're brought up but my parents struggled you know quite a lot and our mode of living was survival Mm. and so art was not something that was introduced 
to us as children and education as well wasn't really in the forefront of their mind. It was whether we were going to get a job to survive because that's all they knew was to survive. So being educated was more about being babysat, you know, I mean, I guess if you understand how, where they came from, they started working at the ages of four and five. Really? Yes. Uh, My grandfather used to lease a plot of land and he used to grow food on the land for his eight, nine children. And so then their job, it was a job and they would make small stick huts and sleep in them at night to make sure that the wheat wasn't taken or (laughs) and it was taken care of. Uh, they used to herd sheep. They used to collect wheat. So they all worked. Yeah, right. So education wasn't a high priority. No, it was only yeah. because they didn't have that experience themselves. They only went to, um, in, in their culture, going to school until you learnt to read mm. was enough. So, mm, mm. And if you were lucky, you got to go to year two. Year one was the average finish time for school. Then you actually started working and it was a, you had a job and you participated in the care of the family. So coming here, my father at the age of 15, still very young, and he came here and he started working and they built a life for themselves. That's yeah. amazing. So the, so the idea of me being educated going to school was more about something you did because that's what all the other kids did in Australia. (laughs) Otherwise I'd probably be working on a farm (laughs) as well, I think. So I presume that you, that that your view was that, you know, you leave school as soon as you can, basically. Yes, yes. So what did you do? So when I left school, I had the idea that I might like to work in the fashion industry. So I, as a young girl, was very excited about potentially working in the city and I created an opportunity for myself through work experience and I fortunately, just by one phone call, got placed in the advertising department of David Jones and I turned up thinking, oh good, I'm doing the right thing, I, got a, I might actually get a job out of this and I thought I would be selling clothes and I in fact became the assistant to the head of fashion styling in, for David Jones and all their advertising. Really? <laughs> yeah. What? How did you do that? Well, just by working hard? I just turned up and again I I was again brought up watching and watching people make things and watching people do things so I just used my instincts and I guess creative skills and watched this gorgeous woman work Nancy Emerson uh, putting together photo shoots and we did all the Christmas catalogues all the TV commercials Good Morning Australia there was lots of things we did within that advertising department for David Jones and I just watched her for those few weeks she obviously saw something in me I worked damn hard I remember getting there extra earlier than anyone else and then staying later and I, I didn't I don't think I was trying to impress her. I just thought, that's what you did. You worked hard, you know. So I was in there working really hard and she uh, recognised that. And I was also sewing my own clothes. I liked sewing um, and I liked fashion. And my grandmother was a seamstress and my mother sewed. And again, that's another part of my culture. And I just learned to do that by watching. And I would come in these like amazing outfits. I remember one day I came in a, they were like a jade green 
Jodhpur and I appliqued black leather flames on the bottom half of them. Oh, wow. <laughs> and matching jacket and I turned up and every day I had a different outfit and I think that's what <laughs> impressed her. She was like, where is she getting all these clothes from? But I was making them literally the night before to turn up in a new outfit <laughs> because, you know, all of a sudden I was working in fashion. It was very exciting. So, you know. Did you just um, whip them up just like from patterns or something? No, no, no I just cut made, them. You just, made them up? Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> and so then, so I started working in advertising and that was, yeah, it was a very exciting time of my life. And um, I, I had lots of experiences that were blew my mind because it was a whole new world that had opened up to me and creativity was just boundless. You know, it was like, oh my God, I can do, if I can do this, I can do anything, you know. Uh, it went on and on for quite some time until I decided to have a family. Yeah, right. And what was that like? Like what was that next period of your life like? Because I think oh. that's always an adjustment when you sort of change your lifestyle and you have a baby. And I think because the industry that I was working in um, demanded a lot of unusual hours, like some of the sets that we were doing were starting at 3.30 in the morning until the next day because you would have to shoot overnight and the opportunity to work in that time frame was almost obsolete yeah you know yeah if you when you start a family and it didn't bother me in any way I was really happy to kind of check out for a bit because I had a different experience with mothering and I wanted my children obviously to have another type of experience and I did enjoy time out but obviously I used my creative skills in other areas. I was cooking and, you know, I, it, was, it, was a, it was a different experience. But then slowly but surely I became restless, you know. I, I needed to find a way to channel that creativity. And as young families are growing and developing their own identity and you're doing things like renting or buying a house you have a need to work in a different way and it may not give you the opportunity to see yourself being creative you know you may need to completely change and just get a job and I was okay with that at the time but then um things needed to change yeah right so um how did things change like how did you go from from that lifestyle to becoming an artist exactly (laughs) because we talk because I think um you've got four kids haven't you yes so a number of years passed by the by this stage Mm. so can you tell me what was the you know turning point to sort of take this course as every young family will experience there's an you know you you're bringing up children and there's a need to support them and, you know, there, there were some tough times that came around and we were struggling and I felt the need to contribute to this family and I just didn't know what I could do having these small children. I mean, my youngest at the time was just born. He, he was only, goodness, weeks old. And a friend of mine um, recognised obviously, that we were struggling and, and I was struggling. And she said, um, what if you paint it? And I was like, what's that? <laughs> I was like, what if I paint it? i like, are you kidding me? I've never painted anything in my life. I said, I haven't even picked up a pencil. What are you talking about? 
I was like, you know, my kids went to preschool and they painted and, uh, but I honestly had no inkling of an idea. And she was like, what if we, I don't know, put it on the internet and sell them? You know, you see those people that sell art. And I was kind of so naive. I was like, I, I th- said, um, okay, you know, and, she's, <laughs> and so literally the next day she came over with these small canvases and paint and she said, just paint something and I had not even opened an art book like I was all into fashion and I said okay I'll give it a go I said all right whatever I'll just you know give me these brushes and and then I just on my kitchen bench just started making marks and painting and you just thought you'd give it a go I just thought I'd give it a go and she was like we'll just we'll put it on this platform to sell and see what happens and then one sold and then another one and I was like oh like you can actually paint and sell stuff like is that how it works no idea about the art world no idea about education or anything still at this stage but I was completely free and I didn't care what went down the canvas in my head it was just fun and and was it was it uh, sort of abstract work at that point? It like, was, was it, yeah. yeah, it was totally abstract. It was explosive. It, like obviously, I was so emotionally pent up. I just let it all out on the canvas, and I was just painting, making marks, drawing. Yeah, um, right. You know, even with using color, I had no idea of the color wheel. It, it was completely just an uninhibited practice. It was completely open and fresh and easy. Yeah, and so you ultimately ended up. Getting an art education, you started off at TAFE and then went to uni and got first class honours. So how, what what point did you think, oh, I'm going to, to sort of... Pursue that? Yeah. Well, um, because I, you know, was one of those, you know, kids that kind of was in school, was not, and I, I didn't want my own children to grow up not understanding the importance of education. So I decided that if I was going to acquire an education to be an example, and that was the only reason why <laughs> I went to TAFE and university to be an example to my children, because if I can do it, anyone can do it, right? <laughs> oh, so like, it wasn't necessarily because you wanted to become a better painter. No, It was more of an example all. to your kids. Yeah, no, no, no. I had no idea I was going to become a painter. I was still really naive. I was still like, I can because I can do this, then maybe I can do this TAFE at university so it was almost a coping mechanism it was like well what would you choose if you went to university Antonio if you went to TAFE to be an example to these children well choose something that comes natural to you so I chose art practice so in my head it was like okay go and do art because you can do that you've you know obviously you've been selling paintings on that platform. <laughs> oh, so yeah. this is an interesting point. You're selling paintings on the internet, but you're still not considering yourself as a painter. No. I'm considering I what I'm actually thinking about is feeding my children and helping this family function. That's pretty much it. You know, so I, I, I knew that in order to get into university, I had to go to TAFE because I had not finished school. So, and so... Um, did so you again, find actually that your your work changed as a result of that? No, not really. Not so much. I was more excited about learning. the The idea of writing and learning came first and foremost. The art that was not like something that was in my, you know. Again, I was there to achieve 
a goal and that was to come out the other end yeah, <laughs> and that yeah, was it. Yeah. So the idea of me becoming a professional artist was totally um, not on the books. Oh, isn't that interesting? No, no. Oh. I had no, no. Do you think in that period when you're at uni and at TAFE, there were any artists that really made an impression on you when you were learning about them? I mean, were, do you think uh, they influenced you, any artists in particular? I, I did meet a gentleman um, in the early years of TAFE, Gary Foy, and he did open up the idea of different artists. And, I, and the original one, the one that he did sort of share with me was Deben Korn. And I remember being quite impressed with the looseness of his, you know, mark making and the palette and the different type of subjects that he painted about. And then abstract expressionists sort of came in the forefront of, and obviously there's Helen Frankenthaler and lots of different artists. There was lots of different artists that sort of he would introduce me to. And I remember the very first time I did painting with him, he said, can you copy this painting? And it was a Diebenkorn and it was just an exercise for colour. And he you know, he said, um, you know, talked about the medium and again, no idea. Like, what am I using? Acrylic? Oh, okay. So I was just like this sponge. But again, I was in flight mode because it was all about learning and it was new to me. Okay, so you went to TAFE, you went to uni and um, what happened after that? So, yeah, so I went to university and Sydney University, I did my bachelor's and I achieved that and I was like, oh, God, I got through that. It was good. Hey, kids, look, I've got a certificate. I can say that I'm educated. And then I remember having the Bachelor's show, again, not really thinking about what was going to happen next. I was just going to get a job, you know. I was like, yay, I finished the degree. It's good. So everybody was setting up their, you know, their space and there was a lot of, like, talk about where they wanted to be because we had curators coming and different people seeing – I was like completely not on that page. I had my studio. I was the furthest point in the whole university. You have to go upstairs and then right to the back. And I was like, I'll just stay here, guys. You know, there was a lot of younger people there. And like, yeah, just take the the front area of the studios. It's fine. I said, oh, I'll just – all I did was clean up my studio basically because that's where I was. <laughs> I didn't even move my work. Yeah. And then I met uh, Jason Minty and um, he offered – from Becca, of Becca Minty. Becca Minty, and he offered to um, share my work with the public and things changed for me after that. And, but oh, then so from that time, from when you at you My bachelor's, at yeah, he just – he came up and he saw my work and was like, we have to do something together. I was like, oh, okay, why? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, all right. And I just, again, just went along with it. You know, and then it, and then I kind of came around to the idea. Oh, I might be an artist. You know, like because he thinks my work has that potential to be shared. I was so like, you weren't out looking for a gallerist or anything. No, no, never. So it came to you. Yeah. So do you? So you think if if that hadn't happened, maybe you just would have gone back to you. You know, your life of before. If I had not had that chance meeting, um, I'm not. I probably – no, I'll be honest. I don't think I would have pursued art making because I wasn't at university for that reason. I was there to learn and to um, change something in my life that I thought was really important to change. Yeah. You know what? I've, what's interesting is that you did go to university as a 
I presume a mature age student. Yeah. What was that like? Like, did you feel isolated or anything? You know, I think I was like in my own little world. It was really weird. I wasn't. I wasn't isolated. No. I. I mean, I. I actually. Oh gosh, Sydney College of the Arts was the best place to be. It was so open, and it, it's a different learning experience. You have to be quite independent, and. I think because I was mature age, it really worked. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I did feel for uh, some of the younger people, they were very well supported, brilliant university, brilliant lecturers, um, you know, the experimental art, the art history classes, everything was really, really forward thinking and, and they always trying to push everybody to create an identity of their own, not practice like this look at these artists it was like hey what have you got to offer what have you got to offer Mm. so that was the struggle with the younger people because you know obviously they've not formed their identity where I had already been practicing so I had and I was really comfortable with doing abstraction and I loved it and I didn't want to stop so I just kept doing it so it was that was probably the easier aspect of my degree yeah that's interesting well that's interesting that you um painting and abstraction do you find at any point that you feel like it starts does it ever start with a subject because it's interesting you know I speak to various people who who are abstract painters and they have different ways of getting to that yeah um do you think there is any figurative element to your work or is there a starting point or how does oh how do, how do you see your own work? um I, I I don't try to force any type of imagery into the work you know so uh it'll be just something very simple that will just spark a whole series and again it could be um a book uh, a a poem uh, a memory mostly memories like a lot of my memories growing up really engage the work and um create uh the abstraction i do need a subject and I will write a statement of some kind, even if it's just a few words. It's just a matter of starting something. I I use my instinct to move the paint around. I don't look at it academically in composition, but I do know where I need to make marks. So it's I, I feel like that's part of my education as well, like as a person university listening looking I think it just becomes a natural process in the way you paint I try not to plan things out because otherwise the work doesn't feel free and all I want to do is allow this work to be free I don't want any constraints you know because I've had enough of that in my life (laughs) I want to be free so in order to express that I just let the work go. Yeah, right. And what about materials? Like what what materials do you work best for you to keep that freedom? Oh, in the earlier part of my painting practice, I used a lot of acrylic paint. It was good and also fast because it dries. But now it's purely oil paint. It's actually a much harder medium to use because I actually it's less expressive with acrylic paint you can move things around it's much it's it can be more forgiving Uh, oil paint it's a really tough relationship one it doesn't dry for can be years 
um, two, you really need to almost be best friends with it because otherwise <laughs> it can work against you. So why did you change? I changed because I like the challenge and I think when I'm working always with memory and that type of imagery, it really needs to be quite intense and oil paint is like, ooh, you know, it's a bit mm. scary, it's intense. <laughs> so it kind of goes with the work. Yeah, so I, and it's also that buttery texture you can't get that or you can create it in acrylic paint if you play around with different mediums but I and I love the surprise element with oils as well well also the oil sticks are really interesting because you you um often use those in your work in it's sort of by drawing with them really haven't you what do you like about that I I can tell you what I don't like is that they run out really quickly (laughs) (laughs) Aren't they really expensive? Oh, my God. Yeah, I just like one oil stick per painting of one colour. Like, so they are very expensive. But you can't – I suppose you can't get that same effect that you can with drawing with an oil stick with a brush, can you? No. Oh, um – there are some tricks of the trade that, you know, if I've got a really, like, scrubby brush, you can get kind of like a drawing effect. But – no, uh, if you get if you put an oil stick on a canvas, it's it's like oh for me it's like playing pinball. Gosh, that's an old game. Uh, <laughs> that 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 smooth sort of silky rolling around is really freeing, even more so than charcoal. Charcoal is kind of a bit more static, and uh, it's like like a wild dance with using an oil stick you know like it goes really fast and and that's why it disappears quickly too depending on which one you use I try to find hard ones so they last a bit longer yeah (laughs) um but no I haven't found that one and and it yeah and it and it gives me the opportunity to draw in the mark fairly quickly it's more direct in a way it's very direct you know with the paint you put it on and you you're creating a shape or a a mark becomes quite thick and, you know, and mm, what's the word? Uh, quite thick and strong looking. You can get a much finer movement with the oil stick. I think they'll be forever my best friends. Yeah. But I use them as paint as well sometimes. Yeah. What, you actually, what, dilute it or use it with a brush? Oh, if I get to the end of a oil stick, I'll smudge it into the canvas and then I'll paint into it with a brush. The work just creates itself almost. It's very rhythmic. Like when I'm in the studio, it's like I'm dancing. Mm. Sort of it's kind of, yeah, I'm in my own world and I just, as I move, I pick things up and I just, it's, I just feel it out. So it's quite a physical process for you? Very physical. Yeah. I don't sit down. From the minute I start painting to the end of the day. And then if I do sit down, it's because I have to run down the road to get lunch and then I... <laughs> I must say there is a lack of chairs in this studio. There, see? <laughs> no chairs. Okay. We, ha- we have, we have, I have admitted I have the uh, odd nap, 10-minute <laughs> power nap. Oh, yeah, that's right. You've got the, the mattress. Marisa, yeah. Marisa Purcell is next door and she was, she's got a little mattress. There. If I'm desperate. <laughs> I'll, like, do this, like, crazy 10-minute power nap and then I'll go again. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, now, talking about the studio, um, 
you know, you've got a great studio here. You know, Alan Jones is here who I've interviewed on the podcast and uh, I think he got the whole sort of group going. Mm. Um, how, how do you feel about being surrounded by other artists? Do you find it helps your work? Yes. Well, I think, I mean, initially I started in the studio I'd, so I'd finished my honours year and just the enthusiasm around my work was kind of m- making me think about, you know, the potential of this practice and I was like excited that I was able to finish the degree. I, in my heart I had to make it work and I was, how do I do that? I have to find a place to paint. And then um, Alan put out an, an ad for the studio and I I needed to feel like I was working alongside, you know, other artists that were, I guess, so invested in their work that nothing else mattered. <laughs> and this mm. is the place. <laughs> yeah, right. So the support here is extraordinary and everybody has an individual, like a very independent idea of what their practice is. So it's really easy. But if you need to ask a question or even a you know, brief critique – they're all very sharing and it is good. I think it's important to have that backup because it's not an easy place to be. Making art is hard. Well, talking about making art being hard, I wanted to talk to you about your performative installation. Is that what you would call it? Your your oh, yes. your work at Sydney Contemporary last year because I remember going to Sydney Contemporary in, in 2019 and I'm wandering along and then I, I see this huge scaffolding mm. up against the wall and I think, is that Antonio Meljack up there? <laughs> <laughs> I was crazy. Can you tell me about this huge work that you were basically, you know, painting the whole time that the that the fair was running at Sydney Contemporary last year? How did that come about and what, what was it? Well, I was at the time showing with uh, both Jason and Curatorial and Co and this random opportunity came up well not random but they they had advertised for you know artists that were happy to do uh the installation work and I just called Sophie up I've got an idea I'll get a scaffolding we'll do this like gigantic canvas and I'll get up there and I'll I'll, I'll paint it and then they'll know I'm from Curatorial and Co and then they'll go over to your stand it's so exciting let's do it let's do it and so together this application went in and they accepted it and I was like, oh, now I actually have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and what, it ended up being how many metres high and how many metres wide? It was uh, nine, nine metres tall and like six or it ended up being eight metres wide because I started drawing off the sides in the end to my detriment because we had to paint the whole wall. So. Oh, did you? And so this was just a huge abstract work that you did during the time at the Sydney yeah, Contemporary. Yeah, so the idea was to respond to the um, environment and the energy in the space. So my, I was so running high on adrenaline. Um, so, so then once the, the idea got accepted, you know, I organised scaffolding. I even got a forklift driver's license I was ready I was like this is going to happen no matter what I remember saying to myself how do I get a canvas that big like so all these ideas I was like oh oh theatre companies they make curtains like 100 meters wide well that's how big I need that's how big I need this canvas and so there was all sorts of things going on in the background but I was damn it I was going to make it work because 
I was so ex- excited about the idea that I could just express myself on this large scale, which yeah. I always wanted to do. This opportunity came up as if I wasn't going to take it. I was like, I will do anything to get it over the line. Well, it did happen. Was it scary being at the top of the scaffolding? No. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it was probably dangerous because I was so high on adrenaline. Oh, really? What? So you were just sort of really pumped up each day? I was day. totally pumped up. And, like, I didn't want to leave. I was, like, there from 7 in the morning and it, I think we closed off at 10 and I was, like, quite happy to keep going. I was on such a adrenaline, adrenaline high. It was just unbelievable. So I was climbing up and down that scaffolding like, like a monkey. <laughs> I was just like up and down, was jumping exercise. off. I was like, yeah, I obviously didn't respond to the adrenaline environment because I kept – the mark making was like intense. Um, but it was an extraordinary experience. And uh, again, out of just one little email that came through, this opportunity was not going to pass me by. Well, suppose that's it, you know, you've got to take your opportunities when they come, don't you? You've got I to recognise you've got to, if you've got to feel like – just don't have any don't worry about if what you're doing is is good enough you know like not worry about it like because the thing is if if it's not move on to the next thing it's okay you know (laughs) I I mean I didn't know that Sydney Contemporary was going to offer that opportunity I didn't know that you know um I could create this extraordinary big canvas I had didn't have that experience but I certainly wasn't going to let it not happen the opportunity was there I was hell of afraid of it I was like shaking the first day but because I'm like hang on a minute I'm in front of like every main gallery you know every professional artist and here I am painting in front of everybody and I had to like put myself out there yeah like thousands of people go through there yeah and um but I had to kind of say you know what it's okay who cares whatever you know, like just do it. It's okay. And mistakes are good. And, you know, if you do a really crappy work, you know what, you still did it. Another thing I like talking about is, is you know, how artists get into the flow of painting each day. Do you find that when you get here you're ready to go or do you find you need certain conditions in the studio? I think it's a mindset. Coming into the studio every day is a mindset. Being an artist is a mindset. You have to sort of say, you know what, I've got work today and I need to finish this and I need to finish that. And it's almost like you have to wind yourself up to do it because there's no formula to your practice. So you do need to wind yourself up. And there are maybe things that some people do. Some people start with coffee and a read or they might start with music or even just sitting in the space and looking. For me... Um, the best way – oh, you know, one really good way of starting work is tidying up. <laughs> Do you, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like everybody – I think everybody has a ritual. Mine is a mindset. And do you find that the domestic – because, you know, I, I presume your kids are older now, but and do you find that you have to have all that sorted before you leave or is, is that sort of – not not as big a thing anymore oh no 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 it never ends no way like you know I've got a few children in their 20s and there's always a need for mothering like if we can talk about mothering and being an artist being a mum being an artist um so being a mother and being an artist I think 
just being on tap all the time and even if you're doing micro things is enough. You know, obviously your children get to a stage where they're independent, but, I mean, I was painting when, you know, they were small and what I found, so when they were small, really small, then my painting had micro time and they had majority of the time, but I flipped it. So now painting has major time and they get micro time but it doesn't mean I'm not available I am and I'll do things like pack a dishwasher before I leave home you know do the once over put something in the slow cooker or in my head I'm planning a meal and and I ask them for help and if things fall behind or the electricity gets turned off because I forgot to pay the bill because I'm ignoring it well you know you just work it out yeah you roll with it yeah yeah Well, you've just had a brilliant um, show at a major Sydney commercial gallery, Nanda Hobbs. What is the next uh, step for you now? Well, I'll continue to be represented by Nanda Hobbs. Uh, It's a great, great, great gallery um, and all of the artists there, you know, I just absolutely adore and there's been a huge amount of support and yeah, it's I, a great place it I love is, it. it's, it's a great space as well I yeah. love it there in Chippendale yeah, yeah no I've, I've not seen my work in such a open area and so many white walls and and because I paint large you know I was able to put in some really big pieces which was really exciting yeah it looked amazing uh the show was great and everybody was so kind around the show especially being my first and now which is very exciting I will be represented by James Macon in Melbourne oh brilliant so they will carry some of my work in Melbourne and Ralph will represent my work in Sydney, Nanda Hobbs. Well, I think that's pretty amazing to sort of get to that stage after only because real, realistically uh, you only finished uni, what, how many years ago? Was it about? Uh, two and a half years ago. Yeah, yeah. So you're just going amazing at amazing pace. It's fantastic. It is a good pace. So I'm, I'm really happy about it because I think that I was ready for it. A lot of people talk about cultivating a practice, you know, from a very early age. Why? You know, I think I've been cultivating this <laughs> since I was born. Um, you know, you have to come into your own self. You have to be ready for it. And mm. I think if you started young and you acknowledged young, I think it's incredible and go for it and enjoy it. I didn't start young. And I don't regret it because, you know, I have other experiences I have to offer. And yes, I am relatively new to the practice, but I've certainly had a long time to develop it. Yeah. I mean, you were painting long before uni, that's for sure. Yeah. I think in my head, I was always painting. I think just like watching, like I said, uh, you know, my my zia and my zias make things. They were painting with their hands, those movements, those arms, everything. That was painting to me. Mm. So it's just come back and come out in a different way. All of that, all of those experiences and those things that I saw were part of, are part of this practice. I move in exactly the same way as if you were, you know, crushing tomatoes or you know, baking bread. Yeah. It's the same. It's the same. It's like this expression of love and gratitude and and just um, for something. And it's, it's just a different something. 
Well, I can't wait to see those expressions on the gallery walls again in Melbourne, probably next time. Um, So thanks so much for your time, Antonia. It's been brilliant. Thanks, Maria. It's been exciting. What a fabulous artist. It was such a pleasure to catch up with Antonia Miljack. Go to the website, talkingwithpainters.com, to see her work and details of upcoming shows. I've also been to a number of shows of my podcast guests in Sydney in the last few weeks. So if you go to my uh, Instagram and Facebook pages, you'll see videos of shows of John Bokor, Joshua Yeldon, Nick Stathopoulos, Alexander McKenzie, Belinda Henry and Black Douglas. And this is probably going to be the last episode before Christmas. So have a great one, everybody, and Happy New Year. I can't wait to get a great new lineup to you next year of fabulous Australian painters through the podcast and videos. And, uh, of course, you can subscribe for free to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and also to the YouTube channel, which has quite a few videos now um, of so many Australian painters, which can give you hours of entertainment. I'll be posting on social media over the break on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. So hang out with me there. I'm planning to post lots of snippets of videos of guests and photos of their work. Thank you so much for listening today and hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking with Painters. If you have a memory, there's an emotional feeling that comes with that memory and that's what I explore. Sometimes you can talk about them. Well, I paint about them. 